Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Um, it feels like forever since I've recorded an episode. So as of recording, it is the 6th of September. Now, this episode probably won't be out for a few weeks, but um, I have been on holidays and haven't recorded an episode since late July, I think, or maybe early August. So it feels really weird getting back into the swing of things. But um, today's interviewee um, is no better person. There's no better person to kind of get back into the swing of things recording episodes with than Brian Keane. So he is my first part two person. So Brian was on in episode 15. So it's worth going back listening to um, part one, which I think, like I said, episode 15. Um, but you don't have to. Um, he gives a little recap a bit about him in it and um, you can jump right into the episode. But anyway, so I'll give you a little bit of background myself. Brian Keane is an online coach. He's a business mentor. He's a podcaster. He's an author. He's a speaker. I'm probably missing other things. He does lots of things. <laughs> um, he is the owner of Brian Keane Fitness and um, he has been my mentor um, in the past. So and still very much is. So um, it's always great to catch up with him and to have a good chat about all things. Like he, he has the most fascinating perspective on things and his mindset is fascinating. So this episode is very mindset heavy. Um, so we talk about things like how he has built up his own self-belief over the years because he wasn't always so confident and he didn't always have that belief in himself. Uh, we talk a lot about fear and he talks about the difference between real fear and perceived fear and how he's faced fear and his own self-belief through his many um, ultra endurance races. I keep calling them adventure races in the, in the interview. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not what they're called. Ultra endurance races that he's ran. And th he's used these races to really kind of tap into facing his fears and challenging his self-belief. Um, we talked then a lot about mental health as well. It kind of naturally falls into that. And he shares his experience of doing an ayahuasca retreat as well, which I find is absolutely fascinating, terrifying, but fascinating. Um, so yeah, really great episode. I hope you enjoy. And there's definitely so much to take mindset wise that can be adapted to our everyday lives. 100%. So enjoy the episode. Brian, how are you? Kate, I am amazing. Thank you so much for having me back on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming back. You're um, my first part two. Oh, I'm very honoured to be the first yeah. part too. The first part, first part, part of many, I'm sure. <laughs> the, 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 like the pressure's on now, anyway. Yeah, for me, I'm sweating after the st stress of trying to get this up and running. <laughs> <laughs> we got there in the end, though. Yeah, yeah, a few technical issues. Um, but for anyone who is new to the podcast, Brian came on to chat to us. It was episode 15. So if you want to go back and listen to the part one, which is episode 15, you don't have to have listened to it. Um, but for anyone who hasn't listened to it and is just jumping into this episode, um, do you want to just give a little recap of your background and just in, gen in general about you? Yeah, super short one. Online fitness coach, nutritionist. Um, I've written several books that have done really well. I'm the host of the Brian Keane podcast. I've been working in the online space since 2016, former primary school teacher, similar to you, Kate. Um, and now doing what I feel, what I love about you and your journey, it 
feels like what I did several years ago. So I love hearing all these little um, points of reference and frameworks as you're going through where you're like, okay, this is where I'm at now. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that and that transition point. Um, so yeah, really long story short, former primary school teacher turned Irish fitness entrepreneur, online coach. Um, and now I spend my time having great chats with people on podcasts, working with people in programs um, and writing books. Yeah, amazing. That is, that's actually impressive how quickly you were able to put that into, into a nutshell. <laughs> Not my first rodeo, Kate. Not my yeah, first rodeo. Not your first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Still impressed all the same. But it's it's funny because your story um, always resonated with me. So like, and I don't think I actually ever said this to you before. And I didn't say it in the last pa- podcast anyway, that it was your podcast. So I like during the first lockdown, and you remember like we were literally at home, we couldn't do anything. And it was literally get up, make the kids breakfast, go for a walk, come home do a little bit of teaching work you know I was kind of getting away with quite the minimum at the time you know we were coming up towards the Easter holidays and I would just listen to your podcast on repeat as I was preparing meals as I was doing this and it your story really inspired me to make changes like it actually you know it's funny I just listened and all the interesting people that you were you were interviewing and I just kind of absorbed it all for a really long time like for months and um I don't yeah I don't think I ever said that so thank you my pleasure. Like as I said, like one of the things I love so much is and you'll be doing the exact same and you'll be hearing these stories in three, four, five years time where you're just kinda of doing your thing, sharing your story, having great conversations with people, and it'll be impacting people listening in such a positive way that it might positively change their life in a very meaningful way, i.e. giving them just enough confidence to go from working as a primary school teacher to setting up an online business to helping busy mums to whatever area that it shows up in um, so I'm so glad that that's happened to you and I'm sure it's going to be the exact same you're going to hear somebody on a podcast in two years time where they're like Kate it was your podcast that did this for me um, and it's such an amazing experience anytime you hear it and it's funny because with a podcast you don't get that same feedback I suppose very often because you know with social media and stuff you know people comment and you know and there's always then you know people will negatively comment as well and we zone in on that but with like with a podcast when people are listening to a podcast you know they're committed (laughs) and but you don't hear from those people so it's it's I just thought it was important to say. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, I, I completely take that on board and I love hearing it because as you said, the way the podcasts are set up, you don't get that direct feedback. So anytime you hear it, it's one of those things that will always bring a smile to your face. For It's been the same since I started. It's the same now, 450 plus episodes in. Anyway, like the one thing that always strikes me about you is your mindset. Okay, so like, you know, I would like if someone said, you know, Brian Keane, one word, I'd be like mindset. Where does that come from? You, like in, in particular, I just think your your self belief, like so, the belief that you have in yourself, and like we'll get into you know the different you know things that you've you've achieved, kind of personally and fitness wise in a while. But where, like, is that something that you were always born with? Did you always have that self belief? No, definitely not self belief. It's really weird because the book I'm working on at the minute is a mental health book, and when you get to the root of mental health issues, something that I've had historically all the way up until my probably 30s I'm in my mid 30s now I'll be 36 in December but it's something that I've always had that kind of environmental depression that anxiety that that constantly trying to stay on top of what feels like a monster coming up from behind you at all times and a lot of that came from low self-esteem not having self-belief not having self-confidence so it's definitely not something I've always had so we can get into that and what I'd say when it comes to self-belief when it comes to the mindset side of things part of the reason that i think i get associated with it 
is because it's a big part of my business. It's in the titles of all my books, but it's also something I struggled with so much. I always think of when you're following someone on a weight loss journey who's lost 100 pounds, 200 pounds, part of the reason that they can inspire you, especially if you're overweight to begin with, is because they struggled, they got out the other side, and now they're sharing all the things that potentially worked for them. And that's how I feel about mindset. I think it's something that I struggled with so much naturally and had to build by adding in different tools and different ways of thinking and reading books and listening to podcasts and cutting people out from my life, adding other people in. I had to take such extreme examples and make such extreme changes to try and get my mindset to where it is now that none of it really felt natural at any point. Like lifting weights, I always use the gym as an example for me. I'm one of those very fortunate people that looks at a weight and I build muscle. I can jump on a sports field and I'm able to play the sport and I have domain dependent confidence. You can put me onto a field or a football field and I feel confident, but historically in my life, I didn't feel it in other areas. I didn't feel it with, you know, talking to girls. I didn't feel it with speaking up in conversations. I didn't feel it when it came to setting up businesses or, or doing anything that I felt like I should really be pulled to. And what I had to work on was the weaknesses that I had in the way that I thought. And part of the reason that my self-belief is where it is today, where I believe I can do nearly anything, and the reason I share it is because of where I came from, that when I didn't think I could set up a business, the language I use, Kate, was that's something other people do. This is the that would run through my head over and over again. Setting up a business, my default would be that's something other people do. Stepping on a bodybuilding stage, that's something other people do. Running a marathon, that's something other people do. It was just my own self-excuse to make me feel like, do you know what, that's not what I do. I do this thing over here. I go to college, I'll get a degree, I'll work as a teacher. That's, that's what I'll do. That's what I've been expected to do. It's what my family and friends think I should be doing. That's what I'll go and do. And if I had the self-belief 10 years ago, 15 years ago, at 20, 24, I wouldn't be doing or I wouldn't have done what I did, I would have gone after a career in fitness and I would have ran marathons and I had done bodybuilding shows and I had done CrossFit competitions and I had done all these things that I felt pulled and inspired to do, but just never had the confidence to do. So I think self-belief and your mindset as someone who's came out the other side of it is 100% something you can build. And if you're at the starting point where you don't have that self-belief, I think it's something that those small gradual changes that we can potentially get into if you like is something that anybody can have and you don't have to be born with it. I actually think being born with it's probably, you know, you're not going to be listening to this podcast if that's you. You're out doing your other things. You're not looking for those tools and arming yourself with the knowledge for your mindset. But for those of you, those who need it, I think there's a lot of ways that you can change the way you see things so that you can basically go and do whatever it is you're looking to do, whether that's start a business, lose weight, you know, have the family you want, have the business you want and channel it in whatever direction you like. Yeah, no, I can. I totally agree with you when it comes to that. I was the exact same growing up. It was very much I can't. And I was so much so that I, as, I remember as a kid and as a teenager feeling quite invisible and very much like I genuinely believed that other people were better than me. And like that didn't come from anyone telling me that. Well, maybe my peers telling me that. You know, like, kids can be mean. But like, you know, I had like I had a great family, really su- great support system. And yet deep within me, I was like, 
you know, I'd look at them and I'd be like, oh, they're great at basketball or they're great at football or what, or, you know, or they're they're a brilliant dancer or whatever. But that's them. That's not that's not me. I'm not that good. Or, you know, if you saw someone being confident, I thought that's them. It's not me. And very much like that closed mindset, like, you know, that I just couldn't. But what I wanted to ask you is, when did that change for you? Because for me, it was very much that changed, like, because I wasn't into sport. That changed for me. Like, I was in my 30s before that changed. Like, it, that I was 31, 32 by the time that changed. And it was fitness. It was it was CrossFit, actually, like, just kind of being thrown in the deep end. and being like, oh, wait, oh, I can do this. I didn't know I could do this. And what else can I do? And it all kind of, you know, step by step happened there. But what about, because I know you were into sport. So, but where did, what was the turning point? It's a great question, Kate. And one of the things that I think is most underutilized when it comes to fitness is the potential self-exploration that comes from putting yourself into difficult positions and doing physical things that are difficult. It happened and I got two very obvious parts of life and they were both fitness related that changed everything for me. My first was in 2014 when I did my first ever fitness competition which was like a, a physique competition and not everybody listening to this would be interested in that some people would be like actually that's as far away from anything that i ever want to do other people are like i'd like to do that someday but basically stepping on stage in a bodybuilding show and i signed up for my first show in april 2014 and i had been preparing for that show dieting for that show training for that show and right before i was to go out on stage it was the miami pro in london in 2014 in april about 30 seconds before I was to go out on stage, I, I thought I couldn't move. I was paralyzed with fear. And if you, I, you had given me an out at that point, I would have 100% have taken it because I was afraid I was going to go out on stage and people were going to laugh at me. I was afraid I was going to fall over. I was afraid I was going to forget my routine. I was just petrified. But then I went out and something happened while I was out there. That fear and those butterflies started to come into formation and they, I started to enjoy it. I was like, okay, well now I'm actually just showcasing the work that I've done. And this is actually quite fun. I didn't fall over. Nobody's laughing at me. And I actually did really well in that show. I came fourth in that show in my first ever competition. But the confidence came from the fear I felt before stepping out on stage. And then when I stepped out on stage, I thought to myself, well, that was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And actually, it was quite enjoyable. Generally, the fear of something is worse than the actual thing itself. It's perceived fear versus real fear. The second then happened four years later when I got into the world of ultra endurance and I signed up for Marathon de Saab, which is a six back-to-back marathons through the Sahara Desert. And it's all self-sufficient. So you carry your food on your back. You need a venom pump within arm's reach at all times in case you get bitten by a snake. Very different from a bodybuilding show. But as someone that came from a GA background and came from a little bit of a bodybuilding background, having competed in bodybuilding, things that I was quite decently built for like i'm five foot eight i'm built like a hobbit so i'm short and stocky like I'm, I'm built for those kind of sports i'm not built to run a marathon i'm not built to run several through the sahara so i had a massive imposter syndrome coming up to that race and coming out and about to fly out to the sahara and i also got that fear of if you've given me an out i'd have taken it before i went it was the only the only two times in my life when i've had that extreme please give me an out feeling And I went out to the Sahara, I completed the six back-to-back marathons, and when I finished that, I felt like, wow, I never thought in a million years this is something I could do. And 
to this day, and I ran through the Arctic a year later, I ran my first 100-miler ultra marathon in 2020, and I've done several events since. And I knew I was going to complete those, but the Sahara was the one that I didn't think until I finished I was going to complete. And I didn't have the belief that I was going to do it until I completed it. And the analogy I've used in books, Rewire Your Mindset, my second one in particular, was that confidence is like legs on a table. And the more promises you keep for yourself or to yourself by setting small goals, you add these small legs to your table. Then every once in a while, you'll do something big. Like, you know, for me, it was bodybuilding show or running through the Sahara. For somebody else, it might be hitting a PB on a squat or hitting a a PB on a, a personal best on a 5K run or it can be anything. Or somebody complimenting you that you never thought would compliment you before. There's these big anchors of confidence that you get. And they're like legs to a table. And between those two points and the reason they were so profound for me was one was my zero to one the bodybuilding show was my zero to one it was the first time ever that i didn't bottle it when i was afraid and i was scared of something and i actually just went and did it the second one was i was so afraid and had done all the work so i shouldn't have been as nervous as i was going out there i ran the miles i had done the work i had prepared really well And I still didn't think I was going to be able to complete it. My own self-confidence and lack of self-confidence within myself. And once those two things happened, which were four years apart from one another and two very different scenarios, I felt that I got this, that I broke through this personal glass ceiling. And not everybody listening, probably most people listening aren't going to run to the Sahara. They're probably not even going to run a marathon. They might have something else they want to do or step on a bodybuilding stage. But anything that you're afraid of, I always think of fear that what I talk about in Rewire Your Mindset is a fear anchor. It's like think of a time in the past when you were afraid to help you deal with something that you're currently afraid of. And if you can't think of any, think about the first time you ever kissed a guy or a girl. Like you were petrified. Like you were like, oh my God, it's the biggest deal ever. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, like in the West of Ireland, it's called getting the shift. It's like when you do it, you get the shift and you're like, oh, that actually wasn't that big of a deal. And now you probably kiss your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, whoever's in your life and you don't even think about it. But there was a time when that was the biggest deal ever and you were terrified. Same as sitting exams, same as doing your driving test. And you might be going through something in life right now that you're afraid of or you're feeling fear around. But there was times in the past when you felt that before, you've just forgotten about it and you need a reminder because that person in the past got through it the same way as the you of now will get through it. But sometimes you just need that reminder. Do you think it's essential for growth? Fear or putting yourself into... Pushing pushing through fear. Yeah, I think it's the... It's like baking a cake. It's part of the ingredients of it that you can't get personal growth in my opinion without going after or doing things that make you afraid the thing is with fear and a misconception around fear is that it goes away fear never goes away from my experience anyway and i'm not the leading speaker in the world on fear far from it just anecdotal experience but fear never goes away you just get way better at managing it i still have fear before i do new things i still have fear before i'll do a big race or a challenge it's just that it doesn't consume me now you have better tools to manage it and i think you need it for personal growth i think it's something you should be seeking out i actually think fear is feedback on what you should be doing now perceived fear versus real fear they're two different things perceived fear is you know worst case scenario i go and talk to that girl in the bar and she laughs at me throws a drink in my face and is like ah go away from me that's perceived fear Real fear is, you know, you're walking down the jungle and a snake jumps out and bites you. That's real fear. It's a physiological response. They're two different things, but we get them confused because they feel similar. 
I think you need to seek out fear in your life to get that personal growth. And I think if you're not doing at least one thing a year that you're afraid of, it's a year wasted. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And it's funny, I just I want to talk about your adventure races. I don't even know if you're supposed to call them adventure races, ultra races. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I will come back to it in a minute. But just to bring it back um, to, you know, like making lifestyle changes. Um, and like, you're, you know, I, and I agree. I think that we definitely need to kind of lean into that because it is how we grow. But I, I like the analogy of kind of um, stepping out of our comfort zone, but not to the point of overwhelm. And when it comes to our diets or our workouts or, you know, whatever lifestyle changes we're making, that's where people go wrong. They push too hard. They're like, right, I'm not eating sugar. I'm throwing everything in the bin. I'm going to work out five days a week and for an hour. And, you know, they put all they try to just be a whole new person and it lasts a few days, two weeks, maybe if they're really, really stubborn. And then it's no reverting back to old habits, but because they get overwhelmed, they've they've pushed themselves too far out of their comfort zone. So you're never going to grow in the comfort zone. We need to step out of it. And but you need to. I suppose that's what I wanted to ask you is is to talk through those steps of self-belief instead of throwing yourself off the cliff. How like what are the practical tips you would give people to just build that self-belief gradually? and make changes gradually it's a great question again kate but i'd also make the counter argument that you need to have a little bit of self-awareness because some people can make those massive changes and that's what works for them personality type wise for example there's certain points in my life that i can go all in on like if if i'm making a fitness change i can go all in on a fitness change i can go from eating one way to eating keto and running 100 miles in a week in the space of two weeks. I can do that with fitness. I can't do it with business or I fall off track. I can't do it with relationships or I fall off track and I end up pressing the fuck it button and then everything goes to hell. So depending on your personality type, I talked earlier about domain-dependent confidence that some people can be really confident in the gym and not confident speaking on camera. Someone else can speak on camera and is terrified to speak on stage. So there's domain-dependent confidence. So I think it's important to Firstly, ask the question, this thing I'm about to do, should I be going 100% out the gate? Is that my personality type and is that what works well for me? For example, I work with people in business. I've worked with you in the mastermind and I have people where we'll do slow and gradual changes. I have others. I'm working with a guy right now who was a teacher as well and he's like, just give me everything. Let's make all the changes at once. And that's his personality type. He's very type A. He's like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it all. I'll change it all and I'll stick to it. And he's been doing that over the last few months because that's the way his personality type is. I would say 20% of people are like that. 80% of what are what you mentioned. Too many changes too soon means they fall off track. Yeah, and Sorry, I, but I think it very much depends as well on the context. So, you know, if you're talking about training for an ultra race or, you know, the guy that you're working with in business and he's cha- making all these changes, it's a temporary intensity. Yeah. So this is where it comes down to what you're saying, the self-awareness. And when people start a diet, and they fall, which is fine if you're dieting for a bodybuilding show or for a photo shoot or for a particular event, as long as that you're aware that the, the drastic changes that you're making are temporary and you're probably not going to keep them up long term and you need to kind of have a have a plan in place for when it, when it's over. Um, but for like a lot of people that would be listening to this or that would work with me and probably would work with you um, in health and fitness and um, they're looking for lifestyle changes and they come to me and they feel 
lost because they're like, I've tried this diet, I've done this, I've done Slimming World, I've done Weight Watchers, I've done, I've tried Paleo, I've done this, I've done that, I've done everything, and I I can't stick to anything. And I think yeah. that's where people are going wrong. Yeah, and I think then with that context and that frame, it's the small changes that you can stick to. And you're taking a consistency approach versus an intensity approach. And I think we overcomplicate it, particularly as people who want all the changes right now. It's that all or nothing mindset that a lot of people can default to. Whereas that's actually not what's going to get you there. I use an analogy of a marathon and you don't have to ever have ran a marathon to get this. But if you're running a marathon, it's 26.2 miles. You're not sprinting at the beginning. Because if you're sprinting, it means you're gone by mile 10. Like you're just going to gas out and you're going to be gone. If you're doing a marathon, you're going slow and steady for 26.2 miles. That's what lifestyle change is like. It's the, such a cliche, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you're making these small changes that you can stick to. And you're also reflecting on are these changes making a difference? Something as small as increasing your water so that you know, you're staying hydrated through the day is such a small thing, but makes a massive difference when it comes to food choices you might make or just feeling better through the day. The same way as sleep. If you're religiously getting six hours every night, but you really need seven, and you decide, right, I'm just actually gonna go to bed for an hour earlier every day for the next week and just see how it makes me feel. That's not a massive change, but that's an extra seven hours of sleep every week, an extra 21 hours of sleep, or no, 28 hours of sleep every month, like that adds up and that compounds very positively when it comes to food decisions you're making, how energetic you'll feel and all of these things add up. So I would say making small changes over time, if you think about your end goal, i.e. the 26.2 miles in terms of your lifestyle, it might be six months, it might be a 12 month change. You can change something once a month, your hydration and your water for a first week or two or first four weeks, then your sleep. Then you might decide I'm actually going to add in a couple more vegetables to my dinner. And then on month four, you're like, actually, I've been walking every day after work. I might actually add a resistance or a strength program once or twice a week. And then on month five, you know, you're looking to maybe supplements or adding in a probiotic because, you know, you've been bloated for a little bit in the last while because you're stressed, etc. Or maybe look at your stress management. You learn to meditate or take out a calm app or a headspace app and you decide I'm going to do five minutes every day. And then over the space of a year, you've transformed your entire life with these small changes that you could stick to versus trying to do everything in week one where you were inevitably and ultimately going to fall off track. Yeah, no, it's so true. Um, I, I, let's move on. I wanted to, like, because I want to talk about the adventure races. I keep calling them adventure races. What am I supposed to call them, Brian? They're an, ev- they're an adventure. Adventure. An adventure is accurate, yeah. yeah I, 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 I don't ultra, get into the semantics with it. Yeah. Ultra <laughs> races. Ultra races. Dear God, you can tell I've never ran one. So um, we'll talk about your, I know you've like, you had a quite a different experience most recently, so we'll leave that separate. Um, but for now, what t- talk us through what have you done and in what order? again when it comes to the ultras marathon to Saab in 2018 was my first the six back-to-back marathons through the sahara i then had a dnf finish in a barcelona ultra in november 2018 that's when i rocked up thinking i'm after doing six marathons in the sahara i don't need to train for this i landed out to barcelona 76 kilometers and i didn't finish at 46k and so it was a high end of a seed of failure planting the tree for future success because i was to run to the arctic the february four months later 
And I thought, oh my God, if I take this approach for the Arctic, I'm going to die in the Arctic. And then four months later, I ran 230 kilometers through the Arctic, 86 of which were on a torn Achilles. I then did a 100-mile ultramarathon, the Nevada Jackpot 100 in February 2020. That took me 26 and a half hours straight through. And then I've done a few others in between when it came to just normal adventure races and basic ultras and normal marathons. And then I Kyrgyzstan, which is beside China, which was my most recent one, which I didn't complete. I didn't even get to the start line on that one. I landed out to Kyrgyzstan and picked up a parasite probably on day one, because by day three, I had gone up a mountain about 15, 20 miles and had to come back down to go to the hospital. I lost about six kilos because I just all the weight started to drop off because I couldn't eat anything or drink anything. Had to go to a hospital in Kyrgyzstan. Wasn't clear to start the race. Um, so that was my most recent one. That was July of 2023 so very recent um so that's one that didn't quite get done but that's kind of the order if we're going mm. through kind of the race order over the last few years yeah um and you said there when you were talking a bit about it beforehand um that that first race the six back-to-back marathons that you did you didn't think that you were going to finish so i have two questions here so the first question is what made you decide to do that in the first place <laughs> and then the second one was it your favorite? Because was it the most rewarding? Because you didn't think you could finish it. I'll start with the first question. The, so the first reason I signed up to it was I was at an event in 2017. It was the Tony Robbins Business Mastery in Amsterdam, and I ran into a guy who since became a really good friend of mine, ultra runner Tom Otten. He's been on my podcast several times, and he was telling me about this challenge in the Sahara. Now, I had no idea, Kate, what an ultramarathon was. I had been a bodybuilder. I played GA. I played sport. He told me what an ultramarathon was, and I was like, "What's an ultramarathon?" He was like, "Well, it's anything that's over marathon distance." I was like, "Oh, well, that's cool." And then he started to explain about this race, six back-to-back marathons, and you carry all your food in your back, and you need a venom pump in case you get bitten by a snake and i was like oh my god that sounds so cool so i missed the entire next speaker because i was on google going through marathon to sob and then i did what most people do i thought about it and was like that's cool i'd love to do that and then i started to get all the excuses you know all those excuses that sound so good to you but nobody else cares about like i'm not a runner i play gea bodybuilder i can't run a marathon why would i run sixth all these great stories that sounded really good to me at the time And then three months later, I was sitting outside the gym in Galway City and I was about to post on Instagram. And this was around the time when motivational quotes were really popular. And it was a quote, it was around, I think it was behind every few years, a person you want to be. It was one of those motivational quotes. And I sat there going, you hypocrite. I was like, you're about to post this on Instagram. I was like, and you heard about this race a few months ago that you have no intention of doing because you're afraid. So that night I went home, put down my deposit for the race, posted the thing on Instagram and just figured out how am I going to get through six Sahara-based marathons. And I did. I did the Dubai Marathon in 2018, my first ever marathon. Did it with a backpack and a hoodie to try and prepare for the heat and then was able to complete the Marathon to solve in 2018. So that's how I fell into that world and fell into doing it. It wasn't the most rewarding, weirdly, because I got more from the Arctic a year later. And although the Sahara was life-changing for me in terms of confidence, the Arctic, because I tore my Achilles 86 kilometers from the end and I fucking pulled my leg behind me for 86 kilometers, 
and my eyelids froze over I because it was minus 30 at one point and I just pulled my leg behind me when I came back from the Arctic and it put me out for six months when I came back but I had a completely different relationship with pain off the back of that and physical pain I know it's different from emotional pain and mental pain but every time I'm struggling now with something in my life whether it's you know my dad got sick last year um, my godmother's got cancer and there's a few things that were kind of emotional style things that would have negatively infected me in a very bad way in the past I'm able to check back in with the physical pain I got in the Arctic and be like okay you didn't break then you're not going to break now and so that has given me more when it comes to dealing with difficult situations, whether it's someone getting sick or something with my daughter or something with my business or something with life in general, it, it gives me and has given me more actual benefit in my day-to-day life than Sahara. So I would say as a whole, I got more from the Arctic just because of the relationship and, and knowing that you're not going to break. I always had this fear that I was going to get a psychotic break if shit went bad in my life as somebody with a history of mental health issues. And because I got through the Arctic and dealt with that physical pain, I also now think my barrier for and my tolerance for what I can withstand is way further than I once thought. And that gives me a lot of confidence to deal with any day-to-day difficulties that I may go through. That is so interesting. Yeah, because it's a different, like, you know, it's a different kind of strength as well. Like, it's obviously physical strength to be able to keep going. and But then the mental strength and like, because like a question, like when, when you're talking about this, I'm like, but why would you put yourself through this? I'm like, I thought you were even running 5K. I'm like, no, thanks. Um, that, but being able to, to kind of, I suppose, overcome your self-limiting beliefs, like must just be the most amazing feeling in the world and just to give you that confidence that what life throws at you you're like you you have the confidence to know that you can handle it in any of the races like were you going over were you afraid like apart from obviously the most recent one where you got sick we'll talk about that after but um were you ever afraid that you were going to die like you know if i'm like six back-to-back marathons in the sarah i'm like yeah no i'm gonna die like I'll, i'll either drop dead or i'll you know get bitten by something or you know not during no beforehand yeah because that's where i talk about the difference between perceived fear and real fear and that's what got me really clear on that all the and i can't speak for anybody else here so i don't want to use the false consensus bias and assume that the way that i think is the same way that everybody else thinks but generally in most cases in my life races and other areas all the worst case scenarios are built up in my head beforehand so when i thought i was going to die it was always around that i could die here because of x y or z when you're in the thick of it, which is so weird because I think this is very similar when people are struggling with something, they get sick or a family member gets sick or they're having in the middle of a divorce or there's something going on with their personal life. The thought of that thing is horrible. Going through it is horrible too, but people are way stronger than they think because the amount of people, it's weird. And I had this most weird experience, Kate, at one of my seminars. And I'll never forget this until the day that I die. I had a girl come up to me off the back of when I was doing my Rewire Your Mindset seminars. It was off the back of the promotion for the book and it was like a seminar around that. I had a girl come up to me who 
spoke about the podcast I did about the Arctic. And there's a line in that podcast about tearing my Achilles that this pain is temporary, it will go away, and I will get through this, which was my self-talk during the Arctic. She came up to me after, after everyone else had left, and said, I was really struggling with chemo and cancer when you released that podcast. And she goes, that's what got me through. She goes, I just kept replaying that podcast and replaying those words in my head. And like I had tears in my eyes when she was telling me. And I was like, I chose the suffering of the Arctic. That is way more inspirational to me than anything I've done in my life up to this point. And she gave me that gift in terms of always share your message, but also in terms of that inspired the hell out of me. And it it worked in reverse. She said it inspired her when she listened. And things like that, one, make you really grateful for what you get to do, but they also show you the strength that people have and the power that people have that when they're put into these difficult situations, some of those challenges aren't chosen by them, such as cancer and going through chemotherapy it's a it's a challenge that was given to them and they've they're persevering through that to me i think is way more inspiring than anything i'll ever do that i'll choose to do and the same like i get more inspired and motivated by that than talking to somebody who's ran 50 marathons in 50 days or you know a 2000 mile ultra marathon i'm like that's cool and it's amazing but somebody who's able to push through those day-to-day things i think is just incredible and inspires the hell out of me and i think when you put that lens that you're stronger than you think and sometimes you might unfortunately need something in your life to show it to you but you come out, it's the old Nietzsche quote that does, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's so true in most cases. And I think once you, for me, I had to put myself into a position and put myself into scenarios where I was forced to deal with that. And again, I've gone a completely long-winded way to, to bring it right back round. But I think when it comes to choosing that, and putting yourself in those difficult situations, it does give you a disproportionate benefit. And we're all stronger than we think. And I definitely think I'm stronger than I once thought I was. And the people out there will be listening to this, will see it in others or might have experienced it themselves. And I just implore them to remember that when you're going through difficult times, you know, there's a quote I love by Winston Churchill that when you're going through hell, just keep going. And that's really true with most of these difficult things that you might be experiencing um, and just remember and keep that perspective. But again, I can't even remember what the original question was, Kate. I've gone off on a complete tangent. Oh, uh, yeah, neither can I, but I actually have a new question now. Um, or is it even a question? But um, yeah, like I think that's so true. Anyone who's been through anything difficult, like you do kind of, you you just, get, you're going through it. You don't realise how horrific it is when you're going through it because you're just dealing with it and you go in and you, I think you just stop using that annoying part of your brain that creates fucking problems. Like you're mm-hmm. like, let's just fix this problem that's in front. That's, um, I never really thought about it that way when it comes to doing kind of long distance. And oh, I remember the question now. Now I remember the question. You said, did I ever think I was going to die? And the answer was, you go into the zone. That's what I meant yeah. to say. Sorry, not, I went off on a yeah, tangent. Not at you the go time. Into- not at the time. And that was, uh, sorry, full, full circle. Yeah, full. <laughs> but yeah, that in relation to perceived fear, and I think that you made a really good point there. Like how many of us are controlled, like myself included, even just saying I couldn't do that. Um, we are controlled by perceived fear. 
afraid things that you're afraid of. oh I wouldn't do that just in case this would happen or just I don't know like that's fair enough sometimes you know it might not be worth the risk for people or you know like mm. there's or you're like I don't want to do that that's totally fine but if there's things that we want to do it it really is worth weighing up what like is or am I being controlled by this perceived fear when, I, when what I'm afraid of might never happen Agreed. Like, it's weird. I, there's a line I use, which is it's so politically incorrect. But when I was in college, one of the guys that I used to go out on the pull with when we were both single would always say when I was chatting to a girl, he's like, is this juice worth the squeeze? Meaning that, you know, you're putting 40 <laughs> minutes into a conversation here. Is this going anywhere? And he'd always be like, is the juice worth the squeeze? And I've taken that and I apply it to my own life when it comes to things like races or business challenges. You ask yourself, is this juice worth the squeeze? Is the effort worth the payoff in whatever it is that you're doing? And in, in the case for me, I've done those challenges and they were. I did the 100 miler that I talked about on my own podcast and I got very little from that because I thought I was going to get more. I just, I didn't know what the personal development would be, but I thought I'd get more. So as it turned out, that juice wasn't worth the squeeze for me at the time. I didn't get any real major mindset shifts or any real benefit. And when you're making a decision based on whatever diet you're following or training program or business or thing you want to do in your life sometimes you can just ask yourself well is the effort worth it is the juice worth the squeeze in this case because in some cases it's not and that's feedback in itself yeah um with your most recent um your trip out to to kurzakstan kurzakstan yeah yeah it took took me about three months just to get the name right yeah kurgistan um so you've ha- you you've spent these years of doing these races and you've built up this belief in yourself. You're like, you know, that to the point that you're like, you know, I can do this. It's in my hands and I can do this. So, again, just a recap to people what exactly and you said it there before, but just for anyone who can't keep up with the races, um, what happened when you went over there? And more to the point, how d- how did you feel with everything that happened and what have you taken from it? What like what have you learned mindset wise? It's interesting. I used to do a lot of mental gymnastics with this one because it went as far off plan as could go. Uh, for Kyrgyzstan, which is beside China, for anyone that doesn't know, so the plan was to do 230 kilometers beside the Tian Shan mountain up the range, which is overlooking China. So it was a mountain run. This was one of the first races that I prepared for that I physically felt at 100% going to. That I was, I don't, because I live in the mountains. I live in the west of Ireland. Like it's perfect for training, with the exception of the altitude. So I was running up and down Kirkpatrick. I was doing a lot of mountain runs for the training. So I was in very good physical condition going out. And I flew out on the Wednesday, landed on the Thursday, and by the Saturday, I woke up and I was like, oh, I don't feel too good. And without going into too much information. I went about 15 miles on a hike. The plan was to go three miles for a hike, three different base camps to acclimatize to the altitude. And then it was 230 kilometer run over five days up to Tian Shan mountain range. And I got about 15, 20 miles up and like, I couldn't keep anything down. Like every direction, everything was coming out of me and I had to hike back down. They put me into a quarantine tent. I had to hike back down the next day, go to the hospital in Kyrgyzstan, which was like an old Soviet building from the 90s. Um, Now, they were really good out there, and I had a translator and an English medic who was incredible, so I felt safe at all times, but I just didn't know what was going on. Like I was like, am I sick? Have I picked up a virus? It ended up being a parasite, as it turns out, and I didn't even get to the start line. I didn't even get cleared for the start line. What I struggled with the most, and I spoke about this on my podcast about my Kyrgyzstan disaster, and I spoke through this experience. One of the things that 
scared me on reflection, which I think is really stupid and reckless and idiotic now, was there was one point where I was lying in the bed in a hotel room and the race was starting on the Wednesday. This was the Monday. And I was toyed with telling the medics that I was fine. And I was like, I'll just go and try it. I'll just, I'll give it a go and we'll see what happens. Not realizing that you're up a fucking mountain, like you're, you're out of rescue range if, if something happens and it's really reckless and dangerous to myself and to everybody else. But I went through a phase for about an hour of, I'm just going to tell them I'm fine. I was like, I'll, I'll manage it. I'll power through. So that mindset of belief can actually be detrimental. You know, they always say that the strongest swimmers die. You know, they're, they're the ones that drown. They're the ones that take the risks because they're able to swim. And because I mentally felt strong and I could do anything, I was like, I, I, I can take this risk. It's fine. I'll manage it. Not realizing that I haven't eaten in several days and like you're running up a mountain at altitude like, and you're going to put you and everybody else at risk. So that was a little bit scary on reflection because it made me think that, you know, they always say you shouldn't believe everything you think. And for years, my thought process was the reverse. I always thought that I can't, similar to you, or that's something other people do. It was just my version and self-dialogue around things I couldn't do and trying to make a good excuse for myself. But that went to its further extreme in that scenario where I believed in a very faulty belief system that I could do it even if I hadn't eaten for a few days and even if I'm nowhere near 100% I was like I can do this thankfully I didn't get cleared the medics were like you, you fucking lost several kilos like you're clearly not eating then you clearly can't keep water down you're not doing the race so it got taken out of my hands anyway so it made it a little bit easier to cope with it, I suppose but the take home from it was and I still am not fully sure what the message was because I got so much from other ones and other races and other challenges. This one felt a bit more hollow because I'd spent four months training and I had a very good four months. Like I went to my sister's wedding and just had a drink or two. I stayed on plan. I stayed on training. I put life on hold for a good chunk of those four months to prioritize the training. I didn't take a lot of my meetings and mentorships. I I pushed them all on so that I could take them when I came home. And then I rocked up out there and I didn't even get to the start line. So I still think the message for me is I probably need to balance things a little bit better that I can do these extreme challenges, but they probably shouldn't come at the cost of putting life on holes. So I think as of now, that's the message that I got. But it's, again, mental gymnastics, trying to take a negative situation and put a positive spin on it. But that's kind of it in a nutshell when it comes to Kyrgyzstan and that experience. Yeah, no, fascinating. Um, fascinating story. I listened to that podcast episode yesterday, actually. And um, But you, you said in your episode that you wouldn't go back. It wasn't, you, it wasn't somewhere that felt it didn't feel right. And you'll do something else, is it? I have such a weird personality trait that I have no idea where it came from. And I've actually been trying to iron it out, but I'm making peace with the fact that it's probably just part of me and I'm going to have to live with it forever. Once I know I can do something, the desire and the drive to do it goes away and being out in Kyrgyzstan experiencing the altitude and being there made me understand I could do this like and and this isn't a knock on Kyrgyzstan but Kyrgyzstan is like the west of Ireland in terms of it's obviously different and the mountains are higher but like it doesn't look any different you know it's, it's pretty much the same as the west of Ireland and when I got out there I saw where we were running I saw the terrain and even though I was sick, I was like, I could do this. I was like, I, I could 100% do this. And that 
in and of itself takes away a lot of my desire to want to do something because I kind of, what I loved about the Sahara and what I loved about the Arctic in particular and a little bit about the 100 miler was I wasn't fully sure that I could complete it. I'm like, if all things go to plan, yes. And Kyrgyzstan was the same before I went out there. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to respond to altitude. It's so new for me. But then when I got to altitude, I was like, actually, I'm, I'm pretty decent at altitude. My body's probably, I'm probably quite fortunate because of how I feel on this, because it was people considerably worse than me when it came to the altitude. So I didn't feel any pull or desire, which is unusual, because Barcelona, for example, that was supposed to be going ahead in November. They cancelled it and switched it to 2024. I was going doing that this week, because that's still a monkey on my back. That's a race that, I, if I go to my deathbed without having done it, I will regret. So it's on my list, and it got cancelled during COVID for 2020, got cancelled for 2022, or 2021 i didn't run it last year because i was doing other things and i planned to do it november this year and they pulled it and switched it into 2024 for some unknown reason i'm not sure so there's a monkey on my back with that one i don't have that with kyrgyzstan at all so i have no plan or desire to go back to do it so it's not like i don't get those because i still have that with barcelona the dnf the one i didn't finish but i just don't have it with kyrgyzstan yeah interesting um and just then in relation to I suppose, mental health. So clearly you use now endurance as part of your way of, you know, keeping mentally strong and, you know, I suppose dealing with life's problems, anxieties, all of that. Like It's funny because for me, like for my well-being, my mental health, I like to, you know, I like to walk i like to do a bit of yoga i like mindfulness all the stuff i know i know you hate the stuff you're like oh my god like, well, I, I i love them and respect them they're just yeah i couldn't imagine you sitting on a yoga mat meditating um and like you know i've started i i went to reiki recently which was fascinating and you know i just i kind of feel like i'm stepping into this whole kind of spiritual um journey which don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about. <laughs> but it's we, just, we can go. I, I know it's your favorite topics: your ayahuasca and your woo and your yeah. spirituality. Well, yes. So I, I I can woo it out with the best of them. Kid. <laughs> I am going to ask you about ayahuasca because it's funny because it's something that I don't know is it just on my radar or whether it's just becoming really trendy now. But everywhere I listen, um, I'm hearing people talking about ayahuasca uh, retreats and how much it helps with mental health. Um with mental health issues, you know, depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, and I know you've done one. So would you mind sharing a little bit? I know we don't have too much time, but a little bit about your experience and what your take home was of that. Yeah, so it's definitely something I would pull the thread on more. And I did a my own separate podcast on my own experience with ayahuasca. And it's weird because even the crowd that did it, they sold out every event for the rest of the year. The, the Paul Germany calls it the Oprah effect with my podcast. Um, and it's, they sold out all the rest of them because everybody went to them because they have one in Ireland that they run every month. Um, and with my experience, and the thing is with ayahuasca, you want a recommendation and you can go somewhere that you're safe because it's something that's, they're, they're very powerful plant compounds and you need to respect them and you know you need to have people that respect them who are running it. Sorry to interrupt, so, but for anyone who doesn't know what I, ayahuasca is, is um do you want to just explain yeah so i suppose and i'm not the best one to give the explanation on it but it's a it's a psychedelic plant medicine is what they call it that basically allows you to and again everyone's experience on it is different so i don't want to project my own experience because yours or anyone else's might be different but it allows you to tap into for me past memories and things that i've lived through 
in a very visual way and it allows you to get healing from within. And I've used this example, which gets lost on some people and others connect with it instantly. When I run and I do very extreme challenges, sometimes I'll get these things that will just pop up into my head. Something that, you know, was an experience from childhood or a memory or whatever it is, it'll just pop into my head. And normally always happens on an extreme run or an extreme CrossFit workout, somewhere where I've really pushed myself to a physical limit. Ayahuasca and a psychedelic is a little bit like that, but more forced on you. It, it brings it right into your peripheral and you're able to see it. So the reason people do it, and again, part of the reason I did it was to just more self-exploration and checking in and we can go whatever direction you want with this case. But it's for healing purposes, for mental health for a lot of people, dealing with past trauma, dealing with issues that they can't quite get a hold of. And they language I used on my episode that I did was it's like having therapy, 10 years worth of therapy with a therapist who knows you better than yourself over the space of a weekend. That's that's as close as I can give you to how the experience is for me. Not everybody has that. I've had friends and family members who have gone who and have had horrific experiences where it's been terrible and they've been getting violently sick and purging and some got benefit, some didn't. So it's not a panacea. It's not a one size fits all. I think you have to really proceed with caution with these sorts of plant compounds. But for me, I got a lot from it. I didn't get anything life changing. I didn't get anything that was like I didn't quit my job or stop running my business i didn't you know grow out my hair into dreadlocks and give away all my money i didn't do any of those things that sometimes people associate with these sorts of retreats but what i did get was a bit more of a clearer picture on what was important to me it helped me deal and check in with some of the things that i hadn't looked at i had a very mixed relationship with my dad for a long period of life less so since my daughter was born but very um back and forth and not very positive for probably 24 years 25 years of my life a lot of it self-inflicted from my side some of it from his side and the ayahuasca allowed me to see my part in that where it's so easy to go to blame and it's so easy to think it's somebody else's fault. But ayahuasca made me see how much I was contributing to that. And it allowed me to forgive that part and then allowed me to heal that part. Now, I have a great relationship with my dad now. We went to see a match in, in the UK last year. We spent a lot of time together now. I consider him one of the closest people to me. But historically, we didn't have that. And any of that last little bit that I was holding on to, ayahuasca allowed me to let it go. And not everybody will get the same experience, but that's part of what I got as my main takeaway from it. So is it like a really vivid dream? So like, you know, they give you the the, the plant medicine and like, do you kind of like go asleep or are you awake? Like, are you like, is it like you're having a trip? Like, is it like taking magic mushrooms or acid or something? Yeah, basically. yeah 100%. So not everyone was funny because Orla, who interviewed me on my podcast about the ayahuasca, went several months after and mine were very visual. Like, so my, what I saw was as vivid to me as our conversation now, Kate. Like, memories, it was like scrolling through Netflix and I could click on a memory and I could replay it. And I could see memories from any point in my life. And 
having this conversation with yourself was like talking to you. It, to me, it was very visual. Whereas Orla's experience was all, she was like, I felt it. I didn't see anything, but I felt it all. So not everyone's experience is the same. With the trip, yeah, it's more accurate to say it's a trip because you're awake. You're somewhat conscious to what's going on. It obviously depends on how much you take and, and all these other things that can go into it. But you're... It sounds really weird and woo, but you're temporarily in a, I won't say different dimension, but you're checking into a different, it's like if you're tuning your radio and you've got it on FM normally, and then you, you put the tuner in and it puts it into a different channel. That's effectively what it feels like with the ayahuasca. You're, you're on this normal, you know, 90 FM at all times in everyday life. And then the ayahuasca allows you to go to, you know, a thousand or allows you to go back to 80. So you're just checking into these different frequencies, which allows you to check in with past experiences. It allows you to ask questions of, you know, some people say it's a fucking deity. Some people say it's your own internal stuff that you know and you know the answers to that you just can't access. Like there's a million different theories that people have. I can't explain it. I'm definitely not smart enough to explain it. I can only speak to first-hand experience on what it was like. But you are going through and you're tuned in to... Like when, you, when I closed my eyes, I had a, a blindfold. When I took the blindfold off, I was in normal worlds. When I put the blindfold on, I was transported somewhere else. So there, there was no getting away from it, but I could turn it off if I opened my eyes. But as soon as I closed them, I was somewhere else. So that, that was my experience. That's how I had it, and that's what happened to me. But that might not be, you know, uh, you know, mileage may vary depending on the person. Yeah, no, I know a lot of people listening to some people listening to this will be really interested. Some people might have already um, done it. And then there's other people who are like, this just sounds like taking drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's <laughs> no. the thing. And I've gone all the way through that with because I've been looking into psychedelics since 2016. And it took me until 2022 to do it because the problem with psychedelics is you get so hooked in initially and then you end up learning about it. And I read several books. This is actually probably a curse of my personality where I read several books and it put me off completely. I was like, oh, actually, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm not going into this with the right intention. And then 2022 felt like the right time for me. Um, And it's something I would do again. I would do more experiences with that. But it's a proceed with caution. Like when you think about any decision you make in life, you ask, what's the upside? What's the downside? How do I manage the downside? And the downside of having a negative experiences on these trip could be that you have a psychotic break. So you need to be very mindful and careful and respect these things. But the upside is you could get tremendous healing. So you just have to kind of weigh up the two sides. Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm like psychotic break. No, thank you. Um, but I might what I'm going to try is I think I'm going to try a bit of active breath work first with um, yeah remember I was talking to I was talking to you about um, Dr. Cathy Scanlon I'm going to try some of her classes because she claims that in her um, when she works with clients that it's it can be a similar experience to ayahuasca so I'm like maybe I'll go holotropic breathing it's holotropic breathing she specializes in yeah 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 yeah. and um, but like the stories she was telling me, I was like, okay, wow, that sounds fun. I said, I'll try it. I'm still even a bit afraid to try that, but I'm like, I'll try that. I'm definitely not ready for ayahuasca for sure. Um, right. Before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you one more thing. So you've been doing the podcast, your podcast since what, 2016? 16, yeah. 2016. Like, so that's a, that's a long time. 
Jesus, I don't even know how many years that this was. That's seven years. Yeah. Uh, four, three. Yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we're both teachers. We should be able yeah. to do that know, instantly. Yeah. We're both Surely former teachers. Shows how fast we lose it, doesn't yeah. it? Jesus. <laughs> um, so you have interviewed, and like particularly in recent years, uh, you've interviewed a lot of ex- experts in the health and fitness wellness industry. So like you've you've literally talked to everyone. So is there anything anything that you've learned over the over that whole time that's really stood out to you? And I'm really putting you on the spot there, so I'll keep talking for a minute to give you time to think. You know, you've talked to a lot. Of, is there any person who stood out to you or anything that you've learned, anything that just really kind of changed things for you? Yeah, I've been very fortunate with the guests in the podcast that I've had on. One of my personal favorites was when I had Robin Sharma on because he wrote the book Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which is a book that I've read four or five times. I've read all of Robin's books. And he gave me some beautiful words and lovely words about my interview style because I do a lot of research and I do a lot of work before I interview people. And he had a line that I actually have to the right-hand side of me here about, he just said, be world-class. And when I'm trying to do an interview or a podcast or writing, I always just think, well, aim for world-class and just try and be world-class in whatever it is that you do. And that's something that still sticks to me that I remind myself of regularly. You don't always get it, but even working towards that helps me tremendously. So again, it's hard to pick one, but because he was one of those four or five that were on my list when I started at the very beginning, he's somebody I was like, I would love to have him on. And then his team reached out to me and I was like, oh my God, yes. I was like, tell me when and where. I was like, I'm all over this. And he was incredible. They say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but I think he's uh, the opposite of that speaking to him actually made me love him even more um and i think that's a rare experience because it's gone the other way with a few other people that i've met at conferences and events and sometimes on the podcast um so that was a very positive experience that probably stands out above all others although to to narrow it down to one based on the incredible people i've had on is is a difficult question yeah no it is a very difficult question because you're on what like 400 and something it must be nearly yeah, 500 it must be near 450 yeah. well, it must be near four, four, i think it's 450 or something along those lines yeah. and yeah, we pre-recorded madness. a few we've bashed yeah. a few so it's, it's around that and as you said to me before you were like once you get eminem and the rock on the podcast you'll just have to stop once <laughs> <laughs> i'm done i'm like life is My over God. i get martian mathers and i get the rock and that's it i'm done Go dwayne on. johnson you're welcome on anytime <laughs> and then i'm just going to stop i'm just going to retire and, and call it a day yeah. because life is complete life you is get complete. That, that, that green tick done box you're done done go live on the beach (laughs) (laughs) brian thank you so much for coming on the podcast today oh my pleasure thank you so much for having me on really really interesting to hear your stories and you know your your take on like you have a really interesting kind of perspective on things and your mindset is like it really is inspiring to um to hear your stories so um i really do think there's a lot of value for people to get from listening Oh, thank you so much. And Kate, keep doing the incredible work. As I said, I've been a small part of this journey and I've been able to see it firsthand. And it is just incredible to see. So really excited for your next few 6, 12, 18 months and beyond because there's great things coming your way. So keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Brian. And I'll share your details, your website, Instagram in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you so much again. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope that you enjoyed the episode and you got as much out of it as I did. 
So before I finish up, I just want to say a few quick words on my eight week Nourish, Move and Shine program. So the Nourish, Move and Shine program is group coaching specifically designed for busy ladies. So busy mums, busy professionals, a mix of both. Um, With individual check-ins each week, it has all the perks of the one-to-one coaching with the support and atmosphere and community of the group coaching. So it really is win-win. So I'm a busy working mum of three myself. So I know the challenges that you face. I know how difficult it can be to make time for yourself. Sometimes it can feel impossible. So um, I do get it. Um, It is suitable for anyone who wants to make healthy changes to their lives. So anyone from beginners to people looking for a reset and a refocus. It's not a restrictive diet. You won't get a meal plan. I don't believe in meal plans. And it's about making small changes gradually to build the foundations for lasting change. So what's included? Personalized calories and hand portions, food lists, step goals, at home or gym based workouts, whichever you prefer. You'll have four workout programs to choose from. Mindset work, which is a huge, important part of the program, which I think sets it apart from a lot of programs out there. Um, You will have app access. You'll be in a WhatsApp group for support, which is always a fantastic resource and um, great community one-to-one support through email and WhatsApp. So you'll have access to me one-to-one on WhatsApp and um, and email as well. Fun challenges throughout the eight weeks, measurements and progress checks every four weeks. So we don't take our weight or measurements or photos every week. We do it every four weeks because who has time to be doing it every week? And I don't think that it's particularly beneficial to be doing it every single week. But you will have your weekly check-in form to fill out and you will hear back from me individually every week. So there is no hiding from me. Uh, There's no hiding in this program, but you will always be met met with kindness, understanding and never judgment. I don't take that drill sergeant approach, but I'm very much kind of solution orientated and will help guide you for the week ahead to overcome whatever obstacles you're facing to reach your goals. So if you're interested, contact me on any of my social media, um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Kate Hamilton Health. There's a link in the bio of each of those pages as well, where you can actually sign up. And um, you can also do so on my website, which is katehamiltonhealth.com. So it runs every eight weeks throughout the year. So then as I'm recording this, we are going into the current one on the 10th of July, but there will also be a program starting early September and again in late October. So there'll be there'll be two more programs after the so there'll be July, September, and end of October will be the last for this year. And we will have more in the new year then again also. So I will chat to you all again soon. Bye.